0: Hello everyone. My name is Srikanth, and am the host of this show Inspire Someone Today. This podcast brings in personalities from a cross section of our society who will share their perspectives, learnings, hacks and experiences that can inspire all of us in our journeys. Come join me on this slide. Hello, hello, listeners. Newer wishes for great learnings, wealth of knowledge, and the joy of growth to each one of you, my dear listener. This is Flashback 10, and I'm your host, Shrikant, bringing to you a quick summary from the last 10 episodes. The last 10 episodes is a tribute to all our guests who have taken the untrodden path, made paradigm shifts, and have shared eloquently their journeys, lessons, and wisdom. So let's jump right in. Give it a listen. Here is the list of the last 10 episodes. Siddharth Rajshekar, a college dropout to India's leading digital marketer. Pooja Rai, architect to a deep desire of making a social impact by creating playgrounds for the underprivileged kids. We had Anton Musgrave who spoke about future is about flourishing, a lawyer by profession who went on to become a futurist. Tushant Karla who gave a pass to the corporate role and turned out to be a parenting coach. Ravi Shankar pursuing the passion of becoming a filmmaker. Nazir Hussain, ex-captain of the Indian rugby team, went against the holy grail and pursued a career in sports management and excelled in rugby. Paul from a newspaper boy to the CEO of Randstad, currently being coached by the world's number one management guru, Marshall Goldsmith. Deepa Natarajan, executive coach, helping people find harmony and congruence in achieving their goals. Mayur Chennagire, pursuing his passion in photography, etching a name in the field through clarity of thought, risk-taking and putting people at the center of everything. And finally, we had Kristen Raman who focuses on a principle-centric coaching practice and a proponent of seven habits framework. Isn't it a galaxy of stars who challenged the paradigms, who treaded the untrodden path? So let's get started. Our first pitch stop. Follow your passion, defy the odds. Our first pitch talk. Follow your passion, defy the odds, quitting corporate job to becoming a parenting coach like Sushant, a college dropout turned out to be India's leading digital marketer with an audacious goal of redefining the education system, and the corporate professional who nurtured his passion of being a filmmaker that has fetched him numerous international awards in the very first to go in Ravi Venkateshwara. Listen in. The trigger point was uh, my own
1: backstory. Like when I was eight-year-old kid, you know, I came back home from school. My grandfather used to work for the Britishers uh, back in the day, and uh, he did not complete schooling. He finished his fifth fifth standard, and he was a uh, the eldest son out of a big family of seven brothers and five sisters. Like a literally like a cr- cricket team with substitutes, you know, big big family, joint family. And uh, for him, the pressure was on because he had to make it happen for the family. And his father, my great-grandfather, was uh, he was a typist or something for the Britishers. And so he was also very good in English. And the English came down from there. But they were typical employees. They, they were not able to sustain uh, such a large family financially. So my granddad got into this uh, mode of reading. He used, to be, he used to be a voracious reader. He used to read like PG Woodhouse. And uh, if my English is good today, it's because of grandpa. He used to speak to me in like proper British English when I was young with good accent and all that. And that's what I kept hearing when I was a child. So when I came back home from school and I asked my grandpa the question, I asked him, you know, Tata, why should I go to school? I asked him this question. He came back to me with a Mark Twain quote. He said, never let schooling interfere with your education. As an eight-year-old kid, it was a bouncer. I do not understand what he was saying. But he reiterated saying that whether you're inside school or outside school, Keep learning.
2: It's a very strange story. And I think I've told this so many times to people. Uh, so me and my wife, Monica, we got married in 1995. And as the story starts, we didn't want to be parents. We were clear that we will not have children ever in my life. And that's how it started. Uh, and, and the reason behind that was that when I used to see parents, all my cousins, even younger cousins, and my friends were married before us. So I used to observe this, yeah, that. All the children are saying that parents are always on our case. So when we are sleeping, they're saying get up. If you are not sleeping, they say sleep. If you are studying they saying this you should go out and play. If you're playing outside, they'll say do this. If you're eating something, don't eat this, eat this. So it's like they feel that like all the time parents are instructing, telling them what not to do, what to do, and saying it's painful. And when we spoke to parents, it was the same story. So they used to say, Patani sota and Sotani and Pitani and I think he's now gone into a bad company and he's not started responding. He's become uh, this uh, adamant and stubborn and all that. I said, what's the point in bringing a life into this world when you will have trouble and they will have trouble? What's the point? Let's not have it. It's perfectly fine. We'll go this way. But then I say in India, getting married and not having children is almost impossible. Specifically for a huge Punjabi family. I have approximately 100 people staying within a kilometers radius of this house. So every time it used to be, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Why aren't you, why aren't you? Even the dog on the road was saying, any problem? (laughs) So finally, we gave in after about six years of our marriage. Aman happened in the seventh year. And then when Monica was pregnant, that's where it all started. I said, this is not what I want to go through. This is not what I want my child to go through. There has to be some method, some system, some process to this. It can't be bad for everybody. It's like we all have great tough when we leave our children are better than us. But the journey was very exasperating for people when I saw it. So I said, Let, let's research. So that's where it started. Amal is right now 21 years plus. So in short, based on a lot of extensive research uh, on this topic, observing children, observing parents, writing a lot of stuff, reading a lot of stuff. And I took that plunge in 2008. I had to convince my wife and my parents first that from a career, being a vice president with a multinational company, dropping everything and saying I want to do something like that and everybody in the family everybody it could be my from my relatives who won't have even met me for years came back and said you're mad how can you train parents parents will never come to you if you want to do something talk to children go train children go coach children parents will never come to you thanks to my parents thanks to my wife thanks to my children they said okay fine if you want to really ready for the plunge go right ahead and, and jump
3: Even as a child, I was fascinated with uh, comic books and animation. I used to watch uh, Disney and Tom and Jerry and used to wonder how uh, these uh, pictures move about. It was uh, fascinating for me to find out how these images are brought to life. In college, I was uh, part of an amateur drama troupe and I started my career as a advertising copywriter and I had the opportunity very early in my career to write an interactive script uh, multimedia script for an animated uh, CD-ROM for children. Uh, So that was my first exposure to animation. This was uh, way back in 1995. Uh, The trigger was when I was working on the project we had a delegation from Australia And uh, they said that like that we don't do quality work out of India. So that kind of uh, stuck in my mind and I said that uh, someday I want to make an animated movie that at least like people will watch and uh, not say it's a bad product that has come out of India. So it was uh, one of those emotional moments, but like it kind of uh, was there in the background of my mind and it was brewing. After 20 years, it has taken the shape of uh, Punyakoti today.
0: Some key nuggets out there. Never let schooling interfere with education. Human beings are born with unlimited potential. Let's tap into it. And what looks easy and effortless is a produce of years of accomplished experience. Couldn't have been a better time than now to hear from our guests about goal-setting. That's lesson number two, a pragmatic approach to goal-setting. Following your passion needs the conviction and the risk-taking ability. With that comes the important requirement, having a goal, vision, and purpose. Two renowned coaches shared powerful insights on the importance of cause and effect in our goals, and the magic in pause and reflect. Reflect on the why. Listening to Deepa from episode 41 and Kristen Ramal from episode 43 on the pragmatic approach to goal setting.
4: The number one thing, like I'm going to pick up on the word goal and I want to disagree there. I think the number one mistake we do year on year is to set new goals. I've been a victim of that. And it's not about setting goals, especially for highly driven people. Highly driven people, you set a goal, they'll go and they'll achieve it and they say, oh, yeah, I did that. And I did more than that. And that's easy. Uh, we've got a lot of motivation. We've got a lot of determination and the willpower and we'll go do it. And that's how most highly driven people are. So it's not about setting goals. It's really about and it's not about like, is it a three year goal? Is it a five year goal? The first step is to say, define why do you do what you do? and I'm not a psychologist, and at the same time, analyzing our past, analyzing how our experiences, how our education, how people around us have shaped us, how experiences have told us to think in a certain way and act in a certain way, all of those things become very key because that defines almost the fire in the belly, the why. Why do we do what we do? And then the second step is defining what is the cause that I'm ready to give my life for? And that cause is not an attainable goal. That cause is a bigger sense of purpose as to why am I here? What's that cause that I'm going for? So let's say, for example, someone wants to set up an NGO for handicapped people. He or she does not have to have a past experience that says that, uh, oh, this person in my family was affected and therefore I'm I have a vested cause to go towards this. You can find a cause that attracts you and give your life to that. But you need to connect the dots between the cause and the why you do and your why. That is the why that has shaped you to become who you are. And once you connect these dots between the cause, the bigger cause that you are here for, then it becomes easier to set finite goals six months, one year, two years, three years, and that's the whole process of going about goals because then you have got the fire in the belly and you also got something aligned to something bigger. And when you're aligned to something bigger, it gets much easier to assimilate people, to assimilate situations, to make sure that everything falls in place.
5: When you say principles, a lot of people say this is my principle, whereas a principle is a natural law like gravity, which belongs to everyone. And a principle is nothing but a cause and effect. But there are methods which could vary. Like if you want to mix sugar in coffee, there are various methods of how you can mix the sugar. You can use a spoon or you could use a shaker. But the principle is simple for the sugar to mix in coffee, the coffee and the sugar have to move together. That's the principle. Similarly, if you ask someone, if you are driving a car, what stops the car, they may end up saying it's the brakes, but actually it's the principle is friction. So many times I have found that people would confuse values with principles or methods with principle. So methods can vary, values could shift, but the principles remain the same. Like somebody would say honesty is always the best policy. And I tell them may not always be because there's a principle behind everything. So Srikant, can you think of a situation? Where dishonesty could actually
0: be better, maybe in the case of life and death situation.
5: Yeah. So let us say you have heard of about psychosomatic diseases and how important the psychological condition for a patient is to recover. So imagine somebody has a grave condition and the doctor knows that this person ha- is is very ne- has a very negative mindset. And if they come to know of the condition, they'll become more negative, which impacts the health. The doctor may actually end up saying that I saw your report and everything is fine. So, from one perspective, the doctor is being dishonest, but it actually helps the patient grow, you know, improve the health. Or or maybe let's say a leader who's watching one of his team members not functioning well and knows that this person needs some kind of a motivation, goes and pats the back and says, Hey, you know what? Don't worry, you're doing well. Now it may seem like a dishonest statement, but it actually helps the person move. So when I say principle-based approach, what I mean is a principle is a cause and effect. So I'm a diabetic. I ask people often, is sugar good or bad for me? And they will often say, it's bad for you. And I tell them, it's neither good nor bad. The principle of sugar, is increases sugar. So when my sugar drops, sugar is actually a lifesaver. But if it's normal, then it can be harmful if I eat it. So what I mean by principle is whether it's a business principle, it's a life principle, there are principles all around us. And uh, if we take any decision based on principle, the results are pretty consistent.
0: Wasn't it practical? Set smarter goals, not smart goals. People don't fail in achieving goals. They fail in taking action. And there's no safe way to being great. Moving on, lesson number three. How do you differentiate amongst competition? Like Pooja Rai, the social impact leader says, There is no one metric to measure impact, and one has to constantly think of ways of being ahead of competition. Nazir Hussain, CEO of Rugby India, chimes in with his perspective on being a differentiator and says, We are all in the same boat. Eventually, we'll get there. Practice sharing and collaboration. So, that's lesson number three on differentiating amongst competition. I think uh, you
6: can. Uh, draw a lot of parallels between growing a sport and in business, like trying to promote a product. And it would be the same. There will always be competition. Uh, I don't think there'd be any single product or sort of area that one would get into where nobody else is. So there's always going to be competition. There's always going to be people who want or established establish in that space. Uh, and you're going to be up against uh, those sort of challenges. Uh, the easiest thing to do is say, "Hey, it's not gonna happen, and uh just not do it and that' would probably be the worst thing to do as well, coming back to rugby, what we as a board and as a federation look at our strengths and our weaknesses uh and try to just focus on that uh what are our strengths and how do we take that out uh into the market uh so to say, and in terms of the strengths, what are the things that we can do to mitigate it uh in terms of making it less uh, a weakness? for us
7: i think in a for-profit world it's very simple to you know define success uh, when you're trying to create an impact there is no one metric Here you know, there is impact then there is uh, environmental impact so the triple bottom line that we hear often about so i feel that from a social enterprise context i would say funding increases your reach and your impact And it is definitely important. And we cannot see funding and impact in silos. Like They're not opposite, right? Uh, So we do need funding to maximize the impact that we are trying to create. Within our organization, uh, we do follow the concept of impact first. So whenever we have to make a decision where maybe with one choice, we can make more profits and money versus where we can make impact, we will always choose on how we can create more impact. So, yeah, I think that's one of the differences that I see. And in terms of success also, we do have impact metrics and they are not purely number-based, right? It's not purely Mm -hmm. just how many children we are impacting or how many playgrounds we have built. But we also look at, you know, what are the changes that are happening through these playgrounds? So sometimes, you know, we do take a pause to understand, go back to our playgrounds and, you know, rework. Keep the feedback loop active. But to answer your question, yes, we do optimize on our costs as well. And I feel, of course, our focus is around impact. But funding is an important aspect of, I feel, any enterprise, whether it's a non-profit, impact focus, or otherwise.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. I- impact first, you lead from making an impact and then everything else follows suit.
7: Exactly. right.
0: And when Pooja is not making playgrounds, you're delivering play in a box. How did that innovation happen, and how critical is innovation in this particular space?
7: You know, one of the questions that uh, most early stage startups, right, not necessarily non-profits, ask me is like, "Are you not scared of your competitors? You know, anyone can start building tire playgrounds." And so, I think that the only thing you can do to beat your competitors is to be ahead of them, and that is why innovation is very, very important.
0: The last of the series of lessons, lesson number 4. Effective leadership lessons from the folks who have walked down the path, both professional leadership as well as personal leadership. Paul Dopi, CEO of Planstad, shared Zen leadership lessons on episode 40 and shares the effective traits of a leader. Renowned futurist Anton Musgrave joined us from South Africa and spoke about reimagined future and key tips to stay relevant as the world steps out of the pandemic mode. Finally, Mayur Chenegere, who has collaborated with many global personalities, including Usain Bolt and Pandit Ravishankar, shares his perspective on building a team as a leader. So, an amalgamation of compassion quotient, resilience, flourishing is the crux of effective leadership lessons. Build a team that believes in you, says Mayur. So, first of all, we know
8: that there are critical characteristics. To be an effective leader, there are some critical characteristics. We talk about things, and this goes back to the beginning of time when we were doing assessments and appraisals of leaders. We talk about leadership competencies. Uh, Certainly, the original companies were based on strategic thinking, uh, the ability to build followership, the ability to uh, create a vision and express it to the team, the ability to execute for results. Succession planning came into the picture. And then we started to hear about things, of course, in the early days about IQ, intelligence quotient was actually a leadership competency. Wasn't that interesting? You had to be smart to be a leader, which we've since discovered smartest people don't necessarily make the best leaders. That's been flipped upside down. Then after that, all of those, let's say, traditional leadership competencies came. The EQ, emotional quotient. We started to talk about how the leader needed to be in touch with people and understand people. Ah, oh, so we saw the the meter start to swing a bit, right? And I believe this is still true, along with those other competencies. We heard a lot more about values of the leader. And then this phrase, walk the talk, came into the picture. More recently, and I think especially with COVID, if we talk about really the true critical characteristics of the effective leader, is the next Q. It's the CQ, compassion quotient. Because engagement and empathy is one thing, but that doesn't necessarily mean action. Compassion is empathy converted to action. And we've all kind of faced that, I think, in the past year and a half with COVID, where it's one thing to feel how the other person's feeling. It's another thing to get up and do something about it, especially when someone's struggling and suffering. Then we add in things like resilience. I absolutely believe that resilience is an imperative for every leader to possess. If you think about the, my definition of resilience, my definition of resilience is one that I learned as an ice hockey player growing up in Canada. It's about bouncing back when things don't go well. In the sports world, that means when you lose a game, coming back even stronger the next time. You know, and, and resilience is only built from having that taste of the loss of losing the game or of um, maybe not performing or of having something happen that you couldn't predict. Resilience is built and there's, and there's a great Phrase in Japanese, it's it's actually a proverb. Directly translated it goes like this As the rain falls, the roots grow stronger. So the more you've been stuck in the rain, the stronger you get. That's absolutely true for leaders. So that's why resilience is a critical element for all leaders. And one more I'm gonna add, because I was in India through COVID and certainly we continue to to battle it in India around the world in here in Japan with my team, but um is optimism. I think the the effective leaders that I've met over the years are optimistic. They don't pour sugar on the story. I mean, when it's raining, it's okay to say, hey, it's raining. But what they do is they reassure the team that, you know what, it's raining, and uh, the rain will probably continue for some time, but eventually, the rain will stop. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through it together. That sense of optimism, especially under pressure, is a critical characteristic of the effective leader.
9: The fundamental lesson, Srikant, that applies to all three really is how do you build a business or a professional service or a country, if you're a leader, a political leader, for example, that is relevant in the future marketplace? And how do you then bring that insight back into the present? So it's the ability as a business, for example, to imagine who your customers are in the future. How do they live? What do they need? And what will they pay you a premium for? And then to start building the foundations today for delivering on those questions into the future. And it doesn't happen on, you know, a certain date. It's, it's a slow, sometimes a quick process actually, you know, as you arrive at that moment for a professional. And I'm here. I guess we're talking about, you know, my daughter, for example, recently qualified as a chartered accountant in London. And I've said to her, it's potentially the most useless investment I've ever made, this education of yours, because a lot of what auditors do will become replaced by smart systems, uh, artificial intelligence. But the ability to think about context, the ability to ask probing questions, the ability to understand context will be what sets her apart and makes her relevant as a chartered accountant. So, professionals need to ask themselves this question. What business are you actually in? And a chartered accountant is not in the business of verifying your balance sheet. A lawyer is not in the business of cutting and pasting clauses to, to put a contract together. A lawyer is in the business of understanding the client problem and addressing that through multiple ways and coming up with a pragmatic, affordable, relevant solution. The machines at this stage, AI, won't do that very well. But an AI will put together a standard contract in a second with no spelling errors. All right. So, whether if you're a healthcare professional, if you're a, a, an architect, if you're a lawyer, if you're a, you know, a finance professional, ask yourself, what is the essence of your value proposition and how do you stay relevant in bringing the solutions to the marketplace? How do you leverage the power of computers and smart systems to do that more humanly and more relevantly?
10: That kind of, you know, you start off with. And... Give them that sense of being saying that, yes, this is not a company. It is not, it is, it is yours, right? Uh, and then I look back and see my team that I've built over the last 11 years, the guys are still with me. Even, I mean, the old, oldest and most probably the first and the second employee, I would say, has been with me for eight years. So building that team is very important and having that sense of ownership and we kind of have a hundred percent transparency the entire team we are a small team i mean we are not like one 10 20 we are five and we want to stick to those five and each one of them they know what is happening how is it you know what is our inflow what is our outflow i feel they have that sense of freedom to come and say like you know at times i might just go hey why just slightly excited and say let's buy a new piece of equipment the team will come back and say yes We will. But this month we had only two shoots. So let's wait. When the business picks up, let's invest. Right. So that is very important. You know, the team should feel the sense of ownership and they should also feel that it's their company. Uh, That's when the best comes up.
0: Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the perspectives from our inspirers to this flashback 10 series would love to hear what your takeaway was hey by the way have you checked out our new website if not just stop by at www.inspiresomeone.today.in. that's www.inspiresomewontoday.in there are some cool ist merchandises to win if you can tag ist amongst your network or leave us a review thanks for listening this is your channel on amplifying inspiration until next time Stay safe and keep inspiring. Thank you for listening into today's edition of Inspire Someone Today. It's been a privilege to bring in these conversations. If you like this episode and have any feedback or comments, do mail me at Inspire Someone Today podcast at the rate, gmail.com Inspiring someone is like creating ripples around us If you like what to listen feel free to share them and let's create ripples of inspiration Do not forget to follow me on my Instagram handle at the rate inspire someone today podcast for all the latest updates This is Srikant your host signing off and until next time keep inspiring